Hello and welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. Welcome. I... Okay, talk over the co-host. Sorry. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> you go. You're not very smooth talking host, Ian Lobb. And I'm the even more slick and professional Zebley Delisle. <laughs> hey, how's everyone doing out there in Radioland? Let's just let's just give them a moment to respond. Yep. Think about it and then okay. Right. Wow. That's that's uh good. <laughs> let's do all the things. Yep. Twitter, CC underscore pod, website, ccpod.co, Facebook creative coding podcast is yeah. it just yeah. like all the things we had yeah. some we've had some reviews that's nice we've got some new patreons patreons are the most important thing because this is a listener supported podcast patreon.com forward slash creative coding that's it isn't it yep and do you want to shout out to our favorite patrons yeah we should so obviously if you uh if you support us with five dollars or more a month then you have your name mispronounced by us every month uh, so a massive thank you to our very special supporters at that level. Grant Matthews, Heather Cochran, Jeff Stargazy Sheen. That's a good middle name, isn't it? Rob Shearing, Michael Hazani, Sam HS, Bradley Manderscheid, Lorenzo Pirandini, James Med, Chris Spurgeon, Adam Butler, Dan Hett. Thank you. Without you, this podcast would still be possible, but... <laughs> But it would be w- way worse. You know, it'd just be really... Ins- You're keeping us going with your good vibes and cash money. It's true, isn't it? I mean, you guys... You, you got, there's always got to be the first people. Yeah. They're, they're the trailblazers. They're the early adopters. A road of a thousand miles starts with a single step or something. <laughs> yes. It just takes, like, way more steps. So you might notice I'm being a bit, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm just like out of it. Are you out of it? Me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit shell-shocked by the I'm whole Brexit We're shell-shocked. thing. Shell-shocked is the way to describe it. I'm so grumpy about it. <laughs> Everything is really annoying me. And not just Brexit, things like other things. Yeah. Like, just people are annoying me. Things that wouldn't normally bother you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sort of th- that weird stage in my, you know, in my work schedule where I don't have anything really to get my teeth stuck into. I've just got really annoying things like grant applications and I just can't focus on it. I don't want to do anything. It's really bad because <laughs> it's something where it feels worse than any... I mean, bear in mind, I've been voting... Well, since I was 18, I'm now 35. So I've been voting for a long time. And every time I've ever voted, it's gone. I've not I've not won. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I voted for has not been the thing that won. And then this one, I was like, well, that better not happen in this one because this is probably the most important one. Yeah. Just because... It's permanent. Yeah, exactly. It's permanent. It's not like a normal election. With a ge- yeah, with an election, it's just like, oh, great. Those idiots got in again. Well, you know, given four years, we'll sort it out, I'm yeah. sure. But it's like, but no. It never does, does it? I mean, I suppose it's been... <laughs> I've been voting a bit longer than you. Um, but, you know, I grew up in the 80s as well, right? So it's all in the middle of crazy right-wing Thatcherism. And as someone who's liberal and becoming probably more left-wing as I get older, which is the wrong way to go, right? It's not the way people supposedly go. People are supposed to be more cautious and stuff as they get older, which is obviously proved to be not true because... 
this Brexit thing is that everyone's been told it's going to cause another recession if you vote for it. People are like, yeah, yeah well, I'll give it, I'll try my luck, I'll give it a punt. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. guess what? Well done, we're we're heading for another recession. So, <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Anyway, to finish my point, so um, really, as as someone you know, liberal, left wing, I'm pretty sure that all of the election results in my lifetime have been disappointing. Even when Labour got in, right? That was that was a little moment of, of joy before they took us to war and brought in student loans. Just like, yeah, okay. That's just the same, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, but this one, like you say, is more permanent. And it's, oh man, I don't even... It's really difficult because I don't even really want to talk about it because it's very much out of scope of our podcast, right? But at the same time, we are British and we can't get away from it. No. I I don't know what our listeners' breakdown is. I'm sure they're they're from all over the world, right? They are. I mean, and some people aren't affected by it at all. Mm. People like Americans, say. And then some people, even if they're not in the UK, are affected by it all of our listeners in Europe. Yeah. Right? This It has a huge impact for everyone in Europe. Especially if it's a domino effect and you're seeing the, the extreme right-wing parties in France and the Netherlands, you know, using UK as an example now. Mm. Yes, they got out. We can get out. Too. I mean, God, wouldn't that be just awful if this just starts the, 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 the snow, a snowball effect across Europe? I, I think, oh, man, I'm so depressed. <laughs> It's really hard to, it's really hard one to talk about. The things that I'm most sad about are, the number one thing I'm most sad about is just losing my EU citizenship yeah. will mean that you I can no longer just go and work in other European countries without a work permit if I want to. Yeah. And same for my kids and everyone I know. We're in a, this type of industry where that kind of thing is very much an option and often required, right? I mean, I, you know, I run my workshops all across Europe. I'm not allowed in America anymore. So Europe was like my only option. And even that's not going to be an option. But you're, you're right. But it's not just losing that option. Like to me, being European has been an integral part of my identity my whole life yeah me too it's one of the things where i thought well people maybe have other europeans maybe have sometimes get a bad impression of (laughs) the uk and stuff oh man they so do but like at least we're part of the club right at least we're actually still taking part and it's like now we don't even have that i mean i always felt bad that we rejected the the euro yeah but i mean that's one of the ironic things is that like inside the european union we had like the best of both worlds yeah we were in the eu without being in the euro and Mm. we had this amazing a la carte deal that no one else had yeah and then we're just like nah (laughs) just like no not enough one of the sad things as well is the way it's happened like obviously like we've probably got some listeners who voted leave and i'm i'm sure like they had their reasons and and did I it. I don't even know what to say to people. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm really trying to understand it. Like, I I don't hold anyone personal personally. Like, if someone told me they voted leave, I wouldn't feel any animosity towards. I'd them. feel despair. But where where I do feel sad is that I think that the way that the election was won by lying to people and bribing yeah. people, basically, I just think is really sad. It points to a very bad and scary future where basically you no longer have to in any way tell the truth um in political campaigns and you can just make stuff up it's really interesting trying to understand 
the levers motivations isn't it you can see it right i think lots of people voted because they're worried about immigration right first of all that does my head in but that's a sort of lack of information about the benefits that immigration are people affected by immigration in different ways and like yeah but it's it's fear right well i mean immigration is a really hot sensitive topic i didn't really want to delve into it too much but (laughs) done it though haven't you it's like i understand why people like in some parts of the uk like outside of places like london and brighton did vote on the basis of immigration because their where they live has been transformed rapidly and not in any way that has brought them anything you mean transformed by immigration yeah i mean just in terms of like i'm trying to express this the right way but it's like (laughs) you know i've all my life had european colleagues and stuff yeah and because we're part of the EU and it's just been completely normal and I don't feel like it's anything that's ever affected my own job prospects negatively and stuff. Mm. But working class people dealing with things like low pay and stuff, I understand why there's a perception that their wages have been undercut by like people from other parts of Europe um, yeah. moving in and living yeah. like 10 to a house and stuff like that, which does happen. But you know what? The reality, you know, and there's been study after study that has shown that the things that people fear the most about immigration, i.e. they're going to take all our jobs, that, you know, the the wages are going to go down. Like study after study has shown that this actually is very much not the case. No. Right? Yes. Um, so, so first of all, the fear is unfounded, right? If you're to believe the scientists which of course no one does anymore we'll come to that later but (laughs) even if you were voting because of immigration i don't think you're going to get what you wanted no one actually ever said immigration would be in any way reduced no but of course now there's rhetoric about saying oh there won't be free movement within the eu but of course the eu aren't gonna let us have you know access to the single market without any kind of free movement i think some politicians now are going yeah we can take a hard line and negotiate but i can't why on earth would they do that i mean they've just uh they've just rejected switzerland's efforts to do that i believe it seems mad it seems i mean from the economic point of view it just seems crazy that people would just ignore all the advice because like oh people are fed up with experts or whatever michael gove said yeah I can't understand that way of thinking. It's like you have to go on the best information that you have. It's the same thing with climate change. It's like, yeah. okay, maybe it's real, maybe it's not real, but all of our <laughs> brightest minds are saying it is real. So, <laughs> like, I'm going to listen to them. I'm not going to go, oh, I, this is an inconvenient truth for me or whatever, so I'm going to ignore it. I think this is a, an interesting element to discuss, and particularly because it probably is the most obliquely connected to uh, the scope of our show <laughs> right <laughs> all of this has happened in the context of a digital landscape where people are inside their echo chambers or whatever communicating to people who already feel the same as them yeah reinforcing each other's views yeah so there's the whole thing of confirmation bias where you read information that agrees with what you already think and that's the stuff you take in and anything else your brain just forgets about instantly yeah Okay, there's there's a couple of things here. I think that, you know, the media has got a massive part to play in this, haven't they? This isn't just about this campaign even, right? There's been, well, for as long as I can remember, the Daily Mail and the Daily Express have been publishing anti-EU propaganda 
you know, from bananas to immigration to cucumbers to whatever, you know, there's, in fact, there was a, a listicle on the Daily Express a, a, a couple of weeks ago that the Channel 4 fact check just ripped apart, right? Every single thing they said on there. And this listicle took the view of, oh, here's all the brilliant things we can get back now we've left the EU. And like item after item, Channel 4 just said, well, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. But that's like, that's now. But that's that's been how they've been for 30 years or for as long as I can remember in my whole lifetime. So immediately there's a, a mistrust and a resentment for EU, right? Just because of our right-wing media. This whole Brexit has been bubbling under for probably 30 years of like anti-EU stories. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and then, of course, there was the quote from Murdoch, which said, do you remember he was quoted saying that he'd preferred if if we weren't in the EU because when you, when he went to UK politicians, they had to listen, but in the EU, they didn't? Yeah, that's, that's the gist of it, yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> and then you see him at a tea party with Farage, or, or the references to, to Murdoch and Dacre, the Daily Mail guy, in Michael Gove's wife's letter. Do you remember that was leaked last week? Yeah. She was advising him on what to do to get Dacre and Murdoch on side. And it's just like, oh man. Oh, it's just so <laughs> awful. But anyway, yeah, let's go back to the, the, the mistrust of scientists thing. Cause that's really interesting too, isn't it? And I think that's like a wider cultural thing. And particularly what you mentioned with climate change, um, and and Gove during the referendum saying, oh, don't listen to experts, they don't know anything. And it's like, I think there is a real mistrust of science. And you see it as well in all the nonsense health kicks and diets and alternative medicine. I think I we should go with science. Yeah. Economists aren't scientists. That much is definitely true. But if all of them are saying something is bad, then maybe listen. Listen a bit. A bit. It's just the attitude of you know, one side saying, oh, well, if this happens, you know, this is what we could expect to happen. We'd expect less investment in the UK and blah, blah, blah. And then people going, yeah. no, it won't. It's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> never listen like... to experts. What do they know? Now I've looked into science a bit more and technology is really advanced now, right? I mean, just look at computing. Computing in the 80s, we could maybe just about understand, right? You could look at how the processor worked and the binary data going in and out through the logic gates even then i'd struggle to understand and now computers are way more complex i mean they're so infinitely complex and there's layers and layers of complexity so i think the scientific advancements are are growing exponentially so if we had trouble understanding the the height of technology in the 80s we've just got no chance now unless we're a real specialist i mean a referendum is just a bad idea in general i would say because you're asking people with no political economics education to make a decision that is a decision about economics and really complex mechanisms right like who really knows what the single market is really (laughs) yeah like you know where we're going oh access to the single market it's like i i honestly couldn't explain to you what access to the single market actually means no we get we get the general idea, don't we? <laughs> I know as an individual that at the moment, like I have the right to free movement to live and work anywhere in the EU, and there's the free movement of capital, labour, and two more that I forget. <laughs> <laughs> there's four, isn't there? Yeah, the four freedoms. Yeah, but really, 
like when people say, oh, access to the free market. Or the free market, sorry, the single market. Sorry, what's the single, the, market. single market, free market. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, couldn't tell you. It's just, it just seems to be like another country where it's really difficult to do business like it is with America. Mm. Right? It's going to just make everything harder. Yeah. And people use the UK as the gateway into... The UK is the English-speaking gateway into the EU. That's one of the main reasons that there's so much investment into the UK, is that we're an EU country where we speak English. And so if you're... You know, English is the international business language. If you're investing into the EU and you want to set up a headquarters, do it in London or do it somewhere in the UK. And then it's like, well, we're going to completely lose that and... That's all going to go to Ireland. It's going to go to other countries. I mean, and that just makes us as a country a less exciting place to be, I suppose. No, no, it's it's making it great again, though. We're, we're finally, we're going to be great. Because <laughs> we're taking back control. Ah, oh, control that I can feel it's surging we're taking back. Me. I mean, that's just all totally decided by emotion, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean... So, yeah, should we talk about something else? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... Just to wrap up. I'm deep. Put it this way. Like I was in Amsterdam last week teaching my workshop. And this was the week after it happened. And I was so ashamed, ashamed and embarrassed. And everyone there just thought it was ridiculous. Right. It's I mean, the rest of Europe thinks we're ridiculous. What's crazy is because the vote was so close. It's the 52 to 48. Most of the people that I speak to were on the Remain side. So it's not like yeah. it's not like in a normal election where it's like I have friends who, you know, vote for Labour, Liberal Democrats, Greens, a few Conservatives. Yeah. Most of the people that I know voted Remain and everyone is just devastated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I would just like to apologize on behalf of my country. Can I tell you something that's really sad? I was listening to Infinite Ammo podcast the other day and in that uh, Alec Haweka who is a canadian was interviewing a brazilian artist who's coming to work in london for a games company she was talking about brexit and how it made her really sad and she was saying after after this i probably won't leave london because she had this perception that in london it was she'd be welcomed as like a foreigner whereas in the other parts of the country she wouldn't that's so not true and it's such a shame that that is now how people see our country yeah we're a country of almost 70 million people and you see a few racist, xenophobic incidents on the news, which there has been a, a spike of, mm. but it's still a massive minority and it, it very rare. You see that, and then that's what, how people see us now. And it's just like we're, yeah. we're massively diminished on the world stage and people th- literally think less of us. It just reminds me that I'm out of step with the vast majority of... I mean, I have that every five years when there's an election, though. Yeah. Because I go, oh, oh really? Is that... Really? <laughs> Like austerity is a classic one where it's like, there's this idea that if there's some sort of recession or something, everyone has to tighten their belts and we have to make the country rubbish. If you listen to economists, it's actually exactly the wrong way around. If you're having a recession, you need to have stimulus, you need to do more public investment projects that make the economy recover, generate jobs and generate more investment. And it's... I mean, I have to believe that those 52% aren't racists. I honestly don't know. You know, I don't know. They're clearly scared of immigration. There's, they're clearly very unhappy. You know, there's a lot of 
struggles. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a racism thing at all. I think that's a really small minority. Fear of foreigners thing, maybe. maybe yeah, I think a fear of foreigners. A, I think a mistrust part. of the EU that's been exacerbated by the right wing media for thirty years. You know, I think those things. And sure, okay. So let's just assume because I want to that the va- the vast majority of that fifty two percent aren't racist idiots. There's still an element of xenophobia and misplaced patriotism right which yeah. seems really backward thinking and yeah. i'm just really sad that we've we're moving backwards you know we're not progressing borders are stupid right yeah i mean exactly like <laughs> and now it's getting worse again it's just oh, anyway i didn't we've spent like half an hour talking about this should we talk about computers yeah <laughs> what let's... have you been doing ian have you been so doing programming been doing, yeah i've been sat in uh in the unity profiler um, optimizing this game I'm working on, and it's been a really interesting experience actually because a lot of some of, a lot of this code I, I wrote quite a long time ago before I necessarily uh, was as good as at Unity as I am now, and so there's lots of things that weren't optimized or I was doing them in a bit of a silly way that I'm sort of cleaning up and and fixing, and just oh my god, just having a profiler like the Unity profiler is really really good. It's stupidly good, and just having that is so nice compared to like how things used to be i mean i I can remember people's talks at flash on the beach and things about like timing things using yeah we used to have to time things ourselves yeah i'll run this function like a thousand times and and time how long it took yeah versus now it's just like i can just run my actual game and i've got this graph that shows me like where the cpu spikes are i can mouse over the graph and see which functions were being called and how many times and so it's like oh this function's been called a thousand times when it should be just I could make that be 10 times or this function has only been called twice, but it's, for some reason it's taking ages. Oh, I can just do this other step to optimize it. And yeah, it's just, it's so much more powerful. Yeah, that sounds great. It's like the then the JavaScript tools for that and Chrome are really incredible now too, aren't they? Yeah, but there's so many developers like still not using profilers. People still aren't even using debuggers. People still doing like printing stuff to debug code. That's generally my MO. (laughs) (laughs) Console.log. I mean, let's type some numbers. That is fine, that stuff. Like sometimes that's fine for most things, isn't it? But when you're doing intense graphic things. Well, there's just a whole, if if something's a really complex chain of events, Mm. you want to know the cool stack. You want to know all the functions that were called to get to the one that's thrown the error or whatever. Yeah, sounds good. So you like the profiler in Unity? Yeah, it's good. And it's also really nice to just to get something running faster. It's just really awesome anyway. Yeah. Like, because, you know, you look at something and it's like, oh, this is a bit, it seems fine, right? But then to just have it all suddenly like working way better is just like really nice, satisfying <laughs> yeah. feeling. And, and that's really important as well, I guess, if you're going to be running it on devices that aren't your computer. Yes, Absolutely. And what about you, Seb? What have you been up to? Well, um, I've been looking at uh, capacitive touch, actually. It's um, it's really interesting. Obviously, I've had ex- had some experience with capacitive touch before because of the laser light synths. Yeah. So capacitive touch is, is what smartphones use, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, you don't need that sort of level of granularity, right? You can just make anything that's a semiconductor into a, a switch, right right i suppose the classic example is those those lamps that turn on and off when you touch them yes a capacitive touch switch works by kind of measuring the capacitance in 
whatever it is that you're touching. <laughs> like your finger? Like, no, um, it's usually like the semiconductive or conductive material. So for the laser lights, since there were copper tracks. Right. And when you, and I'm measuring the capacitance of that copper track. And when you touch it, the capacitance increases. So to just briefly explain what capacitance is, it's like different materials can kind of store electric current right. for a little bit or yes. they can store electrons. So if you're putting electricity into it, if it's very capacitant, then it'll take a little while before electricity comes out of it, right? Right. Because it fills it up. I suppose it's like a bucket or something. <laughs> there are several chips that you can use that just measure the capacitance magically by itself inside so for example if you're using a, a teensy i think i've probably talked about those before they're an arduino compatible board really really good very fast because they're 32 bit some of their input pins you know the gpios some of those can be used uh, to measure capacitance and there's libraries that will just do it magically for you so you could connect a bit of like copper foil or or even like conductive paint, uh, you can connect those to one of those pins and then it will tell you how much capacitance there is in it. And so although usually you just use it to know if someone's touching it or not, because as soon as you touch it, you add to the capacitance because some of the electricity can go into your finger. Right. Right. So the capacitance increases. So it takes longer to fill up that right. bucket because it's filling up your finger as well right? <laughs> before it comes out again. So that's built into that. And there are some chips that you can buy that also deal with that. Like on the laser light synths, I used the CAP 1188, uh -huh. which has a nice breakout board that Adafruit make. And that's right. got eight inputs and that just handles all of the kind of uh, calibration and, and code and everything and it will just tell you which ones are off on and which ones are off it's really super easy but you can do it manually and that's what i've been looking into the way you do it is that you connect a wire to one pin going to your capacitive material through a resistor and then back into an input pin and with code you can turn the current on from the output pin and measure the amount of time it takes to reach the input pin right Right. So that's that's how you do it manually. And then you don't need any chips or any of the built in stuff. So that's what I've been trying to do on the Raspberry Pi. But it's quite interesting. And the thing is about capacitive touch, there's a few different capacitive sensors that will tell you when you're near it. Right. <laughs> and you kind of think, well, that's magic. Right. But if you think about how the theremins works, you know, the yeah, theremins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So theremins, the, uh, the musical instrument from the 50s, I think, uh, or maybe before, I'm not sure. I think um, from space. The thing, yeah. They landed the from the space. The wooey sound, the sci-fi <laughs> sound. Um, so th those can tell when you get near it, which seems sort of magical, right? But when, as you get near a conductive or semiconductive surface, the capacitance actually of that surface increases. So you don't have to touch it for it to to become more capacitant. And that sounds really weird, doesn't it? Well, I mean, only if you know nothing about science, though. Do you know? Do you, do you understand it? <laughs> well, I understand that there's forces that we can't see. Okay, so I did look in... Right, like lightning's weird, isn't it, right? Because how does lightning know where you are? Lightning hits tall trees, doesn't it? Because the lightning strike only happens because of the properties of, of all of the electric charge, right? It's different with lightning because 
lightning uses air as a conductor, right? Right. A good way to visualize it is imagine that the air, instead of being air, is like a load of wires hanging down, right? Right. So there's a massive charge building up in the cloud. Um, so which which one of the wires is it going is it going to pick? It's going to pick the one with the least amount of resistance. Yeah. In other words, which one is the shortest, right? Yeah. So that I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. But so it, and it's going to just find the path. So through then, the with air. the capacitance, why does the capacitance go up when you put your arm near uh, a wire? Yeah. So that's a totally different thing. Um, and I did look into it briefly, but apparently, what happens is when you put, go near. Um, something with electricity in it all the electrons are sort of attracted to your your hand your hand being near causes the electricity to bunch up near where you are because it's attracted to it so it can it actually becomes temporarily more capacitant science is amazing do you remember that song by uh (laughs) which oh uh thomas dolby no (laughs) (laughs) blinded me with science Weird science. No, magnets, how do they work? I think it's called Miracle by um, the Insane Clown Posse. And they were ridiculed on the internet because they wrote the song. It's like, magnets, how do they work? And they basically posed all these these questions as if they were miracles, where we we know the answer, in fact, to all of these questions. Yeah, but you know what? There's there's some things that you really think scientists should know. Right. um, But they don't. Like, try and find out how gravity works. Mm. And, and I don't mean the effects of gravity. I mean, they're very well understood, right? You mean why it's there? Why are those things attracted to each other? And no one knows. The big questions are science. We've got the underlying principles of the universe. Like, we know, for example, what the properties of physics are. But why are they what they are? Like, yeah. why is gra- gravity the value that it is and not some other value, right? No. Well, yeah. That's why. No one knows. Another one is consciousness. Where does that come from? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're not even like what what are dreams? What are dreams for? You know, there's <laughs> there's right. There's so many things. What which animals are conscious and which ones aren't? I'm really fascinated by consciousness. I don't think any animals are conscious. What? Well, none of them have a sense of self. You don't think a chimpanzee or a gorilla is conscious? No. Well, we know for a fact that a gorilla is does have a sense of self, so. Like Coco, Coco the gorilla. She's that gorilla that can do sign language and can tell you how she feels and stuff. Right. Okay, I clearly need some more investigation into my theory. (laughs) I mean, you know, gorillas are very genetically close to us, so it's not a massive Mm. surprise that they demonstrate a lot of the same qualities of consciousness that we have. I mean, what if dogs, for example, they are conscious, but they're just stupid. They're conscious it's just as conscious as we are but they don't have the brain power to like process deep thoughts so they're just constantly like living in the short term that's really interesting we, uh, <laughs> philosophical debates on the creative coding podcast um but i think that's a really interesting question because is that you know is that really consciousness then if you can't remember what just happened five minutes ago i mean yeah i mean babies can't remember what happened five minutes ago babies are conscious are they? I don't yeah, think they, they are. are. Yeah, well, they are. I don't think they are. <laughs> I don't remember anything before I was like. I mean, two. memory and consciousness have nothing. They're not. They're related, but you don't need necessarily <laughs> one to have the other. Like, is I don't see consciousness as the ability to have stupid thoughts. Like, oh, have I left the kettle on? Like in words. Yeah. You know, there's lots of animals that can 
plan in the long term for example yeah now some of them do it instinctively and have no idea what they're doing but some of them don't well you could argue that all all animals don't know what they're doing they're just machines right you could say that and and you know especially with things like dogs and cats where we naturally want to make you know relate to them because they have in ways that we understand yeah because they look sort of like they know what they're doing right yeah i mean there's a lot of dogs that look like they're smiling like they look like they have a permanent smile on their face and we like those dogs more than dogs that have a grumpy face (laughs) yeah see i never had a dog so i can't talk dog i can't Uh, read them i mean what about ants ants are an interesting one because an ant is a really a robot isn't it it's like yeah we know that they don't have brains like we can you can dissect an ant and see that there is no brain in there there's just some nerves way there's there's no brain at all well they have um neurons right so that's their brain yeah but their neurons are spread out throughout their body as far as i know yeah well i mean that's really interesting then isn't it because you've got a system you've got uh because the the ants as a whole is an ent- are an entity or is an entity oh you were going to research about consciousness weren't you I was, yeah, I started reading a bit, but watch this space. I'll have some answers for you soon. But I mean, it's interesting, like, how little we know about it, and then the idea that we're anywhere close to coming up with anything that's, like, artificial intelligence, I think, is absolute science fiction. Oh, you absolutely need to read that Wait But Why couple of posts. I'll link to it, because it's absolutely amazing. It blew my mind. What was it about? It was about artificial intelligence, Right. Just really interesting. I mean, you know, that, that's like a long form blog, right? It explains loads of cool stuff. And they had a couple, like three posts, I think, on Elon Musk and energy and carbon efficiency. And yeah, it was just always really, really good, really well written in a way that you can understand, but really long. And he'd had a couple of posts on AI, you know, which kind of aggregated all the experts thought about when there might be a singularity and even that you're not really meant to call it a singularity anymore because that's not very cool (laughs) you know yeah i mean that always seemed a bit silly to be honest yeah um but also just the sort of rate of the advances in science are exponential and so we're basing what we think will happen in the next 20 years on what will happen in the last 20 years and that's actually a curve that's that's sharpening all the time so okay let's loop this back around then yeah at the same time as all of this people individuals like no longer see in especially in the developed world because obviously if you're in the developing world your life is getting massively better all the time like you know people in china like now can't compare like wouldn't believe what life was like in china 20 years ago for example whatever they would if they were there but you know what i'm saying right like just the progress in so many developing countries and like so many of the new economies is just huge whereas in developed economies like the uk and the us like wages have stagnated like things aren't really getting better for most people and in fact like a lot of people have seen real terms uh pay cuts and things over the last say 10 years Mm. and in the uk it's like pay has been completely stagnant at the same time as like house prices just rocket and so it's like the whole like middle class in the american sense of the word aspiration and sort of lifestyle that everything in our society is based on is just like disappearing and yeah in weird ways and so it's like how do we solve that oh well hopefully there'll be a super intelligent artificial intelligence that will (laughs) that will conceal its existence and just manipulate its human pets 
in order to achieve <laughs> world peace. Really, that's that's the best we can hope for at this what stage. What do you think of this? What do you think of this idea that like basically automation destroys jobs and so instead of trying to make up jobs for people we should just let people not have jobs yeah i totally i totally agree and with just that. give them you know, so give the- them the benefits <laughs> that automation gives us yeah without having to do any work well this is why i'm a big proponent of basic income right it's a cool idea well i don't really see how else we have a future and this is why i'm a little bit uncomfortable with you know with extreme socialists socialist views because you know yeah i totally agree with workers rights and i really think they're very important but i think ultimately there are a lot of industries that are disappearing and i think that's going to happen to all jobs (laughs) or not all jobs but like there's going to be a lot of jobs the lower paid jobs they're just going to disappear and this is great right because no one wants to do those jobs (laughs) but of course yeah but it depends though it depends if you have a socialist or liberal government yeah they're going to make sure everyone's all right when those jobs go whereas if you have a free market capitalist or right-wing government they're not going to bother that's the problem (laughs) but that's why even capitalists don't think surely they don't think that millions of people out of work with no money on the breadline is good for society i mean surely even the most well i mean that's what i was saying though earlier our whole economy is based on people having money to spend yeah if people don't have any money they they can't spend their money there's no economy it's like yeah so so i mean i you have to keep the whole system going like even if it's totally fake right and it's all made up you have to keep the system going right you have to give people but also people need jobs for to have a sense of self well, like, that's that's something... Going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and stuff, it's mm. really important. You can't just hang around with nothing to do. Like, for most people, that will actually put them down a bad path. Yeah, well, as the experiments that have already happened with basic income, so I'm sure most people know about it, but it's essentially just this idea that you get money. Everyone, every citizen gets money, a monthly pay packet for doing whatever they want, whether they're working or not. Everyone gets it. And... The theory there is that, you know, there aren't enough jobs for everyone, so let's forget it. And and also it's saving millions of bureaucracy and actually yeah. trying to do means-based testing, right, which is really expensive. Yeah. So the idea is that you just give everyone money. And the experiments that have been done, I think there's been some in Brazil, in Utrecht, in the Netherlands, they've been experimenting with it. And they're also mm-hmm. experimenting with it in uh, somewhere in Canada, I can't remember, But certainly the studies have shown that if people don't have to worry about having enough to live on anymore, then they're happier because they can do whatever they want, whether it's artistic endeavours. There's indications that it's beneficial to the local community, right? Because you're more likely to tidy up the pavement outside your house or contribute to other community gardens or whatever. There's a guy called, interestingly, called Guy Standing, who has this concept of the precariat, which is millions of people who are totally disenfranchised who are told that they're worthless by the system for not being able to get a job and if you think about all of the unemployment benefits at the moment you've got to show that you've applied for these many jobs it puts an entire onus and blame onto the individual yeah and so and i think actually that if you if you're if you're one of those people being told constantly i mean it's worse than that that in this country though because we had the thing called workfare where we made people work for free we made people like go and work in the supermarket for no pay Ugh. in order to get their unemployment benefits. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I can't help but think that 
all of these people who are really angry with the government <laughs> and the system which tells them they're worthless every week or every two weeks whenever they have to sign on and fill in the forms or whatever. <laughs> they're going to be the ones who are using this referendum as a protest, right? Well, I mean, that's the thing that I think is sad about this, because if we'd had a referendum about austerity, yeah, it would have been great. We could have had one that says, do you think that we've cut too far and we've destroyed our society <laughs> and we should replace our whole system of government with something more democratic <laughs> and stop a sort of elite of people who went to the same <laughs> private school see that's the like, sort of referendum i country. could get behind <laughs> yeah exactly and it, and you would have had the same over you have an even more overwhelming result i think yeah but we didn't do that we had one that was about the eu but people have used it as to express their dissatisfaction in everything and just the whole way society's organised, austerity, everything. Yes, so on, on that note, let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up. One final thought is, I'm really, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. everyone. Well, I'm not sorry, I voted the right way. Well, <laughs> yes. It's not my fault. <laughs> I voted the right way as well, but, yeah. um, but I'm just, oh. we're not all like, don't judge us all, please. No, but I mean, the thing is though, I think you're unfairly judging Leave voters they're necessarily like have made it based on prejudices and things i don't think is true i just think that there's a lot strong element of that but for a lot of people i think they just voted because of dissatisfaction with society yeah i think there's both yeah america have to make the same thing because they're going to have a a presidential election of hillary clinton against donald trump it's it's the same sort of arguments it's to make america great again and all that sort of stuff so Uh, you know you know that's (laughs) (laughs) of course we're all laughing at america's politics right until this happens we're not laughing we're not laughing now i mean the thing is like leaving the eu is so impractical (laughs) it's exactly like donald trump's let's build a wall between (laughs) america and mexico right just think about how expensive it would be it's the same thing and it's like that sort of thing isn't they're not supposed to win because those things aren't practical but in this country that's one so but it's really sad because normally when there's an election i get i get a bit down for a bit a couple of days and then i just move on with it yeah whereas this one it's like you still wake up and go oh yeah that's still that did happen and i didn't dream it i didn't dream it (laughs) you know we're still hoping no one is gonna push it through but that's looking more and more unlikely as the days go by it is, yeah. I mean, it's a poison chalice, though, for whoever actually does it, because there's this thing called Article 50, which you have to invoke, which is like a magic spell. Um, but it's like the day that they, the day that someone invokes Article 50, the economy is going to just completely, like the the pa- the value of the pound is already at a 31 year low. It's just going to fall through the floor. It's like <laughs> the, it's a button that says destroy the economy, and and at the moment they're arguing over who gets to push it. And it's just like that's insane. <laughs> course we didn't even go into all the the reason that this all happened was because of divisions in the tory party i don't want to talk about it let's just finish the show let's <laughs> the just... point is it's important to remember let's end on a positive note yeah. it's important to remember that life goes on me and Sarah are still here we still had a fun podcast i still like computers exactly it's like I... you know everything is going to be fine um oh. europe is not the whole world remember seb it's like we i have friends from all over the world you know i've worked with people from america australia south africa ireland oh that's in europe um (laughs) places that aren't in europe hong kong singapore yeah so we should all just be one nation one world one world all we need is a one world government (laughs) black helicopters and secret cabal 
But it, it do- one thing about this is it definitely throws out any idea that somehow like there's a, a mysterious the Bilderberg group or whatever controlling everything because it's like <laughs> they would never have let this happen or exactly would they? no <laughs> or maybe the hyper intelligent artificial uh, intelligence is doing this for some other reason other benefit that we're not we don't realise yet. Mm. I'm clinging on to that one. Anyway, let's finish the show. <laughs> Yeah, back next week with yes. actual code. With code things. Code sorry design, sorry yes. about moaning. You know, <laughs> I can't help it. See you, see you next time on the Creative Coding Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Sorry. Bye. Thanks for listening. Oh, I hope that wasn't too depressing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>